My name's Ollie Peer. And I am Tim Warwood. And this is the Apre. Apre. What even is an Apre? Is it like an alien invasion? Not quite. That means... Doesn't it mean the after in French? Yeah, but... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's Tim's call intro. <laughs> Let's go on with the show. I must say, it felt more like being in the Squid Games than the typical kind of celebratory, (laughs) everyone partying, you know, orgies, running out of condoms. You're counting the magic carpet and stuff? 14? (laughs) No, no, not 14 and not 12. What a day. As the PPE blows gently in the wind, caressing the slope and sliding effortlessly, I can't even say that, into the throat of a marmot. Uh, and the sound of snowflakes struggling to form in the heat of our ever-heating world grumbles away. <laughs> I don't really know what that means. Me and Tim have popped back for our limpery nonsense for a brand new series of the Apre. Hey, Tim. Hello. That's um, not... Are you going to do it again, or is that... Yeah. You, did you like that? <laughs> I just genuinely oh. thought you were going to go again. Gonna I burped really loudly right in the middle of it. You did, yeah, yeah. I'll do it again. Hey, man. How you doing? Um, I'm all right. I've had a bit of a... Co- I've had a bit of a come down, you know, with the, the Olympics finishing. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Because you've been in... You've been in a... You know, in this little bubble. An Olympic bubble. An Olympic bubble where you've just been, you and Ed, in your hotel room, messing around, and then you've, uh, you know, you've popped into the little not, booth. Not having to look after kids. Not having to look after kids. Just watching winter sport, having a great time, eating loads of Haribo on the licence fees. Uh, you know, the BBC licence fee payers. <laughs> licence fee payers. Yeah. Expense. <laughs> Expense, that's it, Yes. Oh, no. and, uh, and now, and now it's back to reality. Slam! And now, now you're slamming the wine just to kind of make it all seem worthwhile. I oh, know. Hey, it was good though, wasn't it? When, wasn't the Olympics good? And we ended with a gold, which was lovely, um, mm. which was really good. And it's nice. And and I think the one, th- the one, the one good thing, the one good thing that came out of the Olympics um, was the fact that well, we we were able to kind of restart our podcast weren't we we did apre season one um with with our guests and then we started doing our little daily olympic ones and now we're back again proper and i'm really excited about this this is dead good isn't it it is good it's really good the daily ones were great actually they were just sort of this sound this is gonna sound really depressing but it was just a nice reason to get out of bed in the morning <laughs> that is dead depressing. It is a bit, but it was just and really lovely. And he's just had a new baby, so yeah. that's something that's really bad if he's saying that. No, that's all right. You're absolutely right. It was good, and it was really lovely to get all of your messages in uh, because you lot loved it as well. The inane rubbish that we were spouting, our very little limited knowledge outside of the freestyle world. But um, no, it was wicked. We thoroughly enjoyed it, and it's like we said, pleasure to be back doing this. So that's good. Thing is, though, Tim, is that I um, I love watching 
snowboarding every day, basically almost every day. So am I going to be able to do that? I mean, is that that's gone now, isn't it? It's almost like we planned it. Um, <laughs> basically, yes, of course you can. Loads of skiing and snowboarding. Because my mom's the same. My mom, she's, she thinks that the snow melt. She thinks they pack all the snow away once the Olympics are done. But no, uh, free ride world tour kicking off in Austria. Fieberbrunn from the 15th to the 20th of March. And of course Fieberbrunn. you can watch all of the action live at freerideworldtour.com. Link in the show notes. Hashtag. Um, we were chatting earlier, weren't we, about how incredible it is that you can just now watch all these sports live. And when we were youngsters, you'd have to get yourself a hooky copy on VHS of uh, 411 or, or whatever whatever or skate some, or snowboard video you could find. Some shitty lockdown projects snowboard video. Did you ever... No, no, <laughs> well, no genuine. No, come on, let's, let's talk about this. Because you... you it's, Go on. Well, you made lots of... Well, I don't know how many you made, but you made a bunch of snowboard videos. I made four. How, how did you release them? How did it happen? So we started making snowboard videos because we loved just filming. We used to film ourselves. And then two friends, John and Tom Eldridge, that we did seasons with in Vale, they had a video camera. And the first video we ever made was called 220, which was the apartment that they lived in, number 220. And we cut it using tape-to-tape VHS players. So literally pressing play on one, record on the other. No. Play on one and pause and stop that way. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, John got a... Or Tom got a laptop and we just started making snowboard videos. Then me and Gendel started making snowboard videos together. And, uh, yeah, made four of them, all supported by the Snowboard Asylum. They were put out... They were given away free on DVD, which at the time was revolutionary because nobody was giving away free snowboard films. Um, I mean, they weren't very good, but... You know, we had a banging soundtrack and people seem to like them. And... I've got this weird, since I've known you, I've got this weird sort of vision in my head. And I, I want to get I want to get clarification right now if this is this is true. Careful. It was a, no, but it was a snowboarding film and I can't quite remember who was in it or what it was or who made it. Right. But there was a guy yeah. in it that looked an awful lot like you looking back. <laughs> who did a kickflip on a skateboard in a petrol station somewhere as part of this film. And that was and and, and I just remember that quite vividly because you know sometimes there's in snowboarding films there's like a little bit of skateboarding cuz you know riders take skateboards with them. Was that you? Did you do a kickflip? Would you be amazed if I could would you be amazed if I could pull that DVD out right now and show it you? Is it, no, are you being serious? Because that would be so mad if that was you. Wait there. Wait okay, there. I'm waiting. I bet I can put my hand on it. I bet it's him. I bet it's him. If it's him, oh, I'm going to be astonished because that's going to be so mad. Oh, they've gone in the loft. Oh, no. Oh, it's absolutely devastating in the loft. This is why people I shouldn't have lofts. it was the successor to this movie. Fuel. So that is fuel. Was it fuel too? I, 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 I genuinely, I would not be able to tell you, but I just have this really. I think it was sort of vivid a road memory. Trip, a of, road trip movie. Well, yeah, it was. Yes, it was a road trip. But was it you doing a kickflip in a petrol station? Probably. I mean, I can do. Pretty I mean, well, he looked just kickflip. like you, and I think there was a bit about. There was a bit about the camera as well. I seem to remember, and the camera was like a Canon 
something like a, a video camera and it was worth like ten thousand dollars or something what what's this what's this and i lost it i lost it that's yes. this that's this video i lost the video camera i lost my brand new canon video camera drunk in a bar i cannot that's i cannot believe movie. that i cannot believe that that is and i'm that. holding it on vhs oh but mate genuinely that's this film i cannot tell you you have just you have tied up in a neat little bow something that has been troubling me for such a long time that is amazing yeah so we went to sas fay yeah i slammed so hard in diablo i knocked myself out it's the only time i've ever been knocked out on a snowboard i can't remember i didn't know whose clothes i was wearing it was really weird and then we drove to sas fay in switzerland and i got so drunk two nights later i lost a brand new video camera which i had on like I've bought it on this kind of, uh, what do you call it, when you pay for it once a month for the next nine years. So yeah. I lost the camera two weeks after having it, and then we're still paying for it nine years later, every single month. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't insured. Amazing. I can't believe that. That's so cool. Did you remember to buy the fondue cheese? Oh, I didn't. <laughs> you said that as you were drinking red wine as well. No, but I didn't. I forgot you didn't the buy the fondue cheese, did you? I forgot the fondue cheese. Unbelievable. And to think that I cleaned that bowl out so beautifully. Who's that? Hello? It's Benjamin. Benjamin who? Benjamin Alexander, one-man Jamaican ski team. Come in, come in, take your boots, watch watch the snow on your boots, put your coat, hang your coat up, wherever you want. Look who it is. Well, what an absolute honour then. The guest into the log cabin this week. Well, let's be honest, pretty handy with a set of pliers and some electrical tape. He's also pretty good at keeping the party going as a professional DJ. And after starting skiing in just 2016 at the Beijing Winter Olympics Games this year, he donned the black, gold and green of Jamaica, ventured into the start hut, to become the first man to represent Jamaica in alpine skiing. It's Benjamin Alexander! <laughs> that is um, amazing. Talk us through this, Benjamin. Like, how can you start skiing in, tw- in 2016 and end up in the Olympic Games in 2022? Take us through that journey. Yeah, a lot of blood, sweat and tears. Um, first of all... <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I want to just clarify that the International Olympic Committee are really keen to have as many different nations represented as possible at the Games, right? And uh, they're doing better, but they're still struggling. There's over 200 flags in the Summer Games compared to, I think, a record of 90 in the Winter Games. So what they do in skiing and in my discipline, Giant Slalom, is they allow every country to put forward one male and one female athlete at a pretty achievable threshold. Now, if you've been skiing your entire life and race training since the age of five or six, you would be at this threshold at the end of your first year of FIS, which is the International Ski Federation, at the, first, at the end of your first year of racing FIS races, age 16. So I basically had to catch up with you know a proficient 16-year-old, shall we say. But as you just said, I had to do that in the last six years, uh, having first put on a pair of skis exactly this weekend, six years ago. So President's Day no weekend way. in... In, uh, in 2016. So it was a lot of hard work. I skied over 450 days in the last two years. Um, and the only reason that number is not closer to 700 is because of the pandemic uh, and the closed borders to the Southern Hemisphere. I wasn't able to get into Chile, Argentina, or yeah. New Zealand. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of a fanatical guy. Uh, I either absolutely love you and you know it, and we're best friends and we're inseparable, or I'm just so indifferent that 
doesn't matter. And skiing just caught my attention. And I've just been fanatical about it ever since. And I've been very happy to kind of come to the end of my race career, but I'm right back here in Jackson Hole now uh, skiing powder. So, I mean, I'll be skiing for the rest of my life. I found something that uh, I truly love. Well, do you know what? That that was going to be my next question was, do you, be honest, do you love it? You must love it. And I think it's the one thing that a lot of people, when they first try skiing or snowboarding, it, it, it really gets you, doesn't it? It really captures. So chicken in the egg scenario, was it a kind of, a, you were watching the TV? I remember reading a book the once about a guy that said he could beat all of the Moldovan football team at tennis. So he set about trying to do it. Were you, were you watching skiing on a telly and thought, I'm going to do that? Or did you start skiing and then go, I'm going to compete in this? Well, a bit of both. So I was super fortunate. My DJing career took me all around the world. I've played in over five continents in over 30 countries. And it introduced me to all kinds of weird and wacky people, uh, a bunch of whom love to go heli skiing. So I was invited to DJ at a heli ski lodge before I knew how to ski. Um, and it was at this heli ski lodge that me and the other house cats, you know, the people that were just kind of chilling in the lodge, making sure the beer was cold, the jacuzzi hot and, and, the, and, and all of that good stuff. Uh, we were flown to the top of the mountain right before Christmas of 2015 to join the heli skiers for lunch. And I saw my friends put on their 130 millimeter black crow powder skis at the end of that lunch and just disappear off the ridge line. And for me, they had just turned into superheroes that very moment there and then. And I vowed at that very second that I wouldn't come back to this trip as just a DJ. I would only oh, come back as a, as, as a skier. My ninth day of skiing two years later was back at that heli lodge in uh, British Columbia, Canada, Micah. And I've had a very accelerated path through skiing. And it kind of started as a bit of a luck, right? So I mixed race. My father's Jamaican, born on the island, moved to England in 1961 as part of the Windrush generation. My mother is English, born in White City, London. And as a mixed race person, you always represent the minority of any group, right? So to my white friends, I'm the black guy. And to my black friends, I'm the white guy or more accurately, Carlton from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, as you all remember. And so <laughs> while skiing, and skiing being a predominantly white sport, I am the black representative. And everyone, of course, knowing of my Jamaican heritage, is talking about the 1988 Bob said team, talking about yeah, the movie yeah. Cool Runnings. And they're saying, you should go to the Olympics. And in, 20, in 2018, I went to the Olympics as a spectator and realized that there were only three athletes that were representing uh, what is a powerhouse nation in the summer games. And I was just yeah. surprised that more people hadn't followed in the footsteps of that pioneering bobsled team and had tried to apply their talents to more winter sports. And that was really the kernel of an idea. It wasn't until the beginning of 2019, after I'd retired as a DJ, that I said, okay, let me devote myself for a month here in Revelstoke and just see what a month of skiing brings. Am I a natural? Uh, is there no chance in hell? Uh, and it turns out that after skiing for a couple of days, I, I met this guy called Gordon Gray, who's a former Europa Cup level skier from the United States. And he basically said to me, look, your technique is absolutely atrocious, but somehow you're keeping up with me. And I've skied at the highest level. I've skied for 40 years. You are absolutely fearless. And we've all seen those type of skiers, right? The kamikaze guys that just have yeah. no fear or concern for their own well-being or anywhere else on the mountain. He said to me, I think... You've got more than half the battle won here. We can teach you technique, but if you're afraid, you've got no chance, and you're obviously fearless or stupid. Um, so let's see what we can do. And it was this gentleman, Gordon, who put me on my merry way and sent me in the direction of chasing uh, qualification in giant slalom. So it was a bit of both. Along your journey, though, sort of 
as you've pointed out, it's not a particularly diverse sport. Neither is snowboarding, as it happens. How have you found yeah. that? How how has the reception been for you wanting to be part of that? Yeah, it's been incredible. I think since the passing of George Floyd, lots of people in lots of different areas have taken a long, hard look at their, their company, their industry, uh, or whatever it may be, and just said, do we represent diverse interests? Are we inherently racist? And I think the answer is often no. But are there institutional barriers that prevent diversity? And so ever since that moment, I've had far more attention than my skiing ability has warranted um, and far more support than my skiing ability has warranted because people are keen to give people from diverse backgrounds a leg up to eventually change the landscape of winter sports, right? So, for example... Um, in August of 2020, I had my first big write-up in a magazine, and it was Powder Magazine. I mean, many people on the, the, listen to this podcast wow. have spent their entire lives trying to get into Powder Magazine, and my skiing ability yeah. then did not warrant it at all. But I've had so much support and so much you know, generosity from the people in the space to help me get to where I needed to get to. And without them, there's no chance I'd be sitting here today. So it's been incredible. I, I don't think skiing is racist at all. I just think that there's three factors that you require to have a high likelihood of skiing. One is do your parents ski. Um, and as we know, if, if it's not so diverse right now, there aren't going to be many parents that ski. Two is do you have a high level of disposable income, meaning that eventually you'll interact with other skiers and learn how to ski. Or three, do you live in the foothills of some mountain? And at some point, regardless of your socioeconomic status, you're going to beg, borrow, or steal some skis and get up on that mountain. And most minorities, especially as it pertains to England, where there are no mountains, or here in America, um, live in urban centers away from mountains. So it's just going to take time for that to change. There's no racism in this sport. At least I haven't experienced any, but I'm six foot six, so maybe people don't want to see this. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just give them a, a strong, hard smack in the face. Yeah, I'd be terrified. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. Talk us through it then. China. How, how was how was it being an Olympian? Like, you know, getting your getting the getting the uniform and everything. It must have been really proud for you. It was you it know, was incredible. That. You know, receiving all of the Puma gear because Puma was the official sponsor of the Jamaica yeah, team, yeah. obviously. Um, receiving all that gear at the house and feeling a part of this legacy of Jamaican history and Jamaican heritage was absolutely incredible. Getting to China. Uh, as part of the Olympic delegation, was also absolutely yeah. incredible. Um, it was a bit of a strange Olympics, though, I must say. It felt more like being in the Squid Games than the typical kind of celebratory, <laughs> everyone partying, you know, orgies, running out of condoms, all of that stuff. That definitely didn't happen at these Olympics. It was a very, very <laughs> controlled environment. The Chinese were so scared of an outbreak of COVID. Yeah. But, getting to interact and mingle with some of the best athletes on the planet and especially those in my discipline and to eventually get to race on the very same course as those guys was you know was something i'll keep with me for the rest of my life i just got the certificate that allows me to put those three letters behind my name now the ollly whatever that's about um and that just kind of makes <laughs> it even cooler but it was it was something else you know walking in the opening ceremony holding the flag it, it was so special. That legacy around the cult following of the 88 team and the 93 movie, Cool Runnings, it's just like nothing else. And so to be a part of that you know, history and that story is just, it's crazy. Why do you think that is about Jamaica? Why do you think that it punches above its weight on the Olympic stage? I really can't figure out what the secret source is. I mean, that island has had so much influence on music and fashion, like, I can't figure it out. And I also can't figure out how this tiny island is such a powerhouse 
in track and field. It's just, it's incredible. It's the secret sauce. You know, that's what keeps people coming back. If you, if you could figure it out, then it's replicable, but it's, uh, it's something they're keeping very close to their chests and good on them. <laughs> what's the, what's the next step for you, Benjamin? You've had the last six years skiing. You've gone to the Olympic games. I mean, I don't want to sound rude, but are you going to compete in four years time? Are you going to do that? Cause how old are you now? I'm 38. So I have a plan to get much better athletes than I am and athletes that have started at a much younger age than I did, which was 32, to the games, right? So I've already identified a half a dozen um, kids that could represent us on skis or snowboards uh, at 2026, three of whom kind of followed the normal path of having started skiing at the age of 18 months old, have been race training since the age of four, and now they're 14. So they'll be ready for us in 26, and they'll be even better for us in 2030. And I want to parlay my experiences of understanding uh, how to get to the Olympics and all of the kind of pitfalls that you should avoid uh, to allow them to focus predominantly on just being the athlete. Um, And there are many transferable sports that they just don't have someone that has the industry expertise to help them take advantage of. For example, you can take an incredible track and field athlete and give them three to six months training uh, in Norway, shall we say, on some cross-country skis, and they can be competitive. But no one's just gone there to help them understand this and to help the People on the island see this as an avenue to the game. So a rising tide rises all ships. Hopefully more people will be looking to the winter sports and the more athletes we can bring to the winter games, the more eyeballs from Jamaica and the surrounding countries will watch the winter games and the more money that can be put into it then starts this flywheel of helping more Jamaicans get into winter sports. I mean, we saw the African-American speed skater win gold after only being on skates for five or six years. She was a rollerblader before. Why yeah, can't we put yeah. all of the Jamaicans onto rollerblades and, and, and pick the best of the best and then take them to a part of the world where there's speed skating, right? So, you know, my, my, my line is, I'll be at the next uh, Olympics or two, but it, it won't be a speed suit or a race suit. It'll be a business suit. And I'm super excited to stay involved. That's really good. Yeah, because the Chinese are doing it now. That I mean, they've pretty much emptied all of their martial arts programs and gymnastics programs. They took, I think it was four or 500 kids down to the South Island of New Zealand they taught them all over the course of two or three weeks. To, and then at the end of those two or three weeks, the naturally talented ones that could ski and snowboard were left the others. And they've whittled it down. And now they've got such an incredible freestyle program in the freestyle yeah. disciplines, which takes even, you know, you need that natural ability and that, that natural skill. So, yeah, you know, absolutely. I think, it, I think you could easily transfer a lot, of, a lot of the skills. How long, Benjamin, until we see a Jamaican Winter Olympic medal, do you think? Realistically? I look at this as like a 30-year plan. I think you have to have a lot of respect for how complicated these sports are. And when a medal is decided by 200 to the second, that 200 to the second eventually comes down to some voodoo that some guy understands about ski wax because he's been yeah. doing it for 60 years, right? <laughs> and so you can't just force a, a square peg into a round hole and get a medal in 10 years. And that's not my, my goal here. If we could get Jamaicans into the top 30 in the World Cup in the next in the next 10 years, that would be an incredible achievement. And then from there, it's yeah. a case of getting lucky, you know, 10, 10 or 20 years after that and having all the right pieces come together and stringing together a good run so someone can get close to a medal. Right, I don't mean to startle anybody, but the, the snow's getting tracked out. Should we jump on the chairlift? Absolutely. Let's bring a beer for the chairlift. Come on, there we go. <laughs> Welcome to the chairlift, Benjamin, a place high up on terrifyingly thin cables where 
If you're not sharing tales with your fellow dangleberries, you're too busy thinking about how your life literally hangs in the balance. So let's tell tales. What you got? So I've, I've got a I've got a fun hot tub story that combines with meeting someone on the chairlift randomly. I love to spend time in the hot tub, right? But for me, it is like my sanctuary. There's a great hot tub at this house that I stay at, and I spend an hour a day in there, sometimes two. And so I was in there, this would have been, I don't know, about a year ago, and I started to feel like a weird sensation on my testicle. And I was like, okay, that's a bit strange. <laughs> Never mind, I just wrote it off. And I was just busy answering emails, and as you do, I treat it like my office. Anyway, the pain started to get worse and worse and worse. Like, I just got to get out of this hot tub. So I got out. And for the next three days, the skin on my testicles was shedding like a skin, like a snake would shed its skin. And I researched this. I researched this. If there's too much chlorine, like if they've shocked the, the, the tub and there's too much chlorine, one of the most sensitive parts of your entire body is your testicles. Luckily, not the shark, but just the testicles. And I literally had all of the skin and I kept waking myself up for the next week whenever I'd brush my testicles the pain would be so intense anyway I eventually I'm sitting on the hot tub randomly and I'm chatting with this guy and he's like oh are you talking about that big house up on the top of the hill yeah yeah, it's my buddy's house that's where I stay he's like oh I do the uh, the hot tub there I said oh you're the new guy right He's like, yeah. I'm like, you're the one that ruined my testicles. And I randomly met the guy who had become the new guy, but far too many chemicals in on his first day. <laughs> that was, that was my job. When I, did, when, so I, when I did my season, when I was doing my seasons in Marybell, that was my job to look after the hot tub. And, uh, you know, I don't want to ruin your happy place, but I mean, I saw some disgusting shit in there. You know, I mean... I believe it. They're not yeah. nice. They're not the nicest thing in the world. Cleaning out that filter. <laughs> I dreaded that every week. Yeah. I did quite a few seasons in Vail, Colorado. This is in my youth. I used to go hot. We, well, I'm sure you probably have as well. We used to go hot tubbing, like jumping in people's hot tubs naughtily. And I did a bit of um, jumped in this hot tub the one night and the guy who owned the house came running out. So we like jumped out naked, running away with all of our clothes. Ended up getting caught by the police because the guy phoned the police. <laughs> Yeah. Had to go to court, got in front of the judge, and I'd, I'd got, I'd basically ended up in court for trespassing. The policeman told me that the guy was really worried because he got small kids in the house and he thought he was being broken into, and that like really cut me up. So randomly, I, I took around like uh, a couple of beers and a bottle of wine and a, and a sorry letter to say that I was really sorry because I was a, a bit like a, I was just a bit put out that I'd like offended this guy and his kids and that he'd felt scared with his kids in the house. And the judge, my, my fine was I had to write a sorry letter. And so when I said to the judge, I was like, I've actually already written a sorry letter. He could not believe it. Anyway, randomly, the reason why I'm telling this is the next day, powder day, China Bowl at the top of Vale, razzed down to the bottom. I was one of the first people there, got to the lift, jumped on the lift. Who was I sitting next to? The judge. No. <laughs> Me and the judge. How did that yeah, go? Both powder. Both powder hounds shredding out a china bowl that day on the, the, the ne- very next day. I don't think he recognised me. Oh, awesome. I, let, wait, before, yeah. we, um, before we move on, your, your result at the, uh, at the Olympics, you finished. I mean, you finished. Yeah. And actually, I was yeah. looking at it and I was like, that is not terrible at all. How did you feel about it? Look, 
all the way along, I knew that we're not gonna, I'm not, that I wasn't going to be competitive. So my objective was to put a rung on the board for the next generation of Jamaicans to achieve beyond that. So for me, it was finish at all costs, even though it might be slightly embarrassingly slow. You know, 41 <laughs> athletes crashed. And I'm just super happy to, that, that I'm not one of those 41. And, you yeah. know, by definition, I finished ahead of those guys. And that included some of the best in the world. So it may have been slow, but I got down. And I tell you what, I got a lot more TV coverage because of my speed. <laughs> so we're at the top now, Benjamin. And uh, there's only one way down. And that is down. Well... It is, it's straight down, as you very well know. Going down is a tricky business, you know this, but me and Ollie here to make it even trickier for you. So, we have got three questions for you. We're going to start the clock, and like a ski race, all you've got to do is very skillfully and quickly navigate the gates. Questions. You can take as long as you want to get through the questions, you can have as many guesses as you want, but remember, the more guesses you have the longer the timer keeps going. It's all about finishing the quiz questions, a.k.a. the race, as fast as you can. Okay. Do you get me? Let's go. Tim, have you got a timer? Go. Oh, sorry, I did. I just started it then when we said that. Okay. <laughs> we'll, um, we'll dub in the, uh, we'll dub in the, the start gate beats, Yeah, yeah, okay? we'll do the start gate. Hey, okay, just but, for the but, record, ready? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's giant slalom, not super G. I don't know if you want to correct that. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, what, yeah. Tim? I asked you, and you said it was... You're such a... Jesus, you're supposed to be the Olympic specialist on this. Okay, just hang oh, on. Did... Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> it's not just me that's been drinking wine. In front of you, Benjamin, is the giant slalom. So, Tim, are you starting a timer? I've got the timer ready. Benjamin, are you ready? Let's do it. Beep, 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 how far was the furthest jump in the men's large hill ski jumping at Beijing to the nearest metre? Go. 102. No, 111. One, no, one, one, more. One, more. Oh, he's gone Go wide. Higher. He's gone wide. More. 112. 113. Keep going. Higher. Way higher. 115. Way more. 116. More, more. 20 more. 20 more. Go higher. I'm 131. Oh, a bit more. A bit more. 133. Keep going. A bit more. 137. Keep going. More. Five more. Go five more. Wow. 142. Yes, come on, 142, there we go. What was the largest spin done in the men's snowball big air competition in degrees? 1,600. Higher. More. Keep going. Always clip to gate. Uh, So what, is it 2,000? No, come on. Not that much. Lower. 1,800. Correct. It is. Yeah, oh, it's green. Do you see greens on the clock? Here we go. How many ski lifts are there in Jackson Hole? 7, 11, 10. Higher. Oh, he's clipped. He's coming up. Oh, he's gone into the red here. Oh, uh, no, he's dropped nine. a pole. Oh, no, he's really dropped his other pole. Nine, ten, um, eleven, twelve. Well, you're counting Four. the magic carpet and stuff. Fourteen? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> not fourteen and not twelve. <laughs> twelve, thirteen. Yes, yes thirteen. Yes. He's got oh, he crosses the line. <laughs> the finish. He's flying through the finish he there. Thirteen the lifts in Jackson Hole. Oh, Benjamin, in the time. What was the time? Tim Woolward, how did he do? Uh, it was a whopping 1 minute 31.57. Wow, it's faster than my first run. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first run? How fast was that? I think 135, 134 or something like that. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of funny because I came down after the second run and they said, how do you feel about your time? And I said, I have no clue. I don't care. I finished. <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin, should we move on to your um, 
to your making tracks. I want to hear these because you have some provenance here. I'm very, very excited. So what is what is your track? I know we like to have a chat and have a natter, but what is your track for the chairlift? What have you chosen? So based on just having qualified and competed in the Olympics, so many friends kept posting little clips with this song. And it's championed by the legendary Buju Banton, who just came out of prison recently. Me all walk like a champion, talk like a champion. What a piece of money, girl, tell me where you get it from. Up on your entrance, ram, pa, pa, pam, pam. Can't let me in me, that's the thing where you are waiting. And just like the chorus for this is like, walk like a champion, talk like a champion. It was just, it's so cool. And it just has like this crazy energy to kind of like get you motivated if you're about to go and shred something awesome i think it'd be the perfect chairlift kind of boost up your energy levels type thing nice very nice we're at the top it's time to clip up the boots put the weight into the front of the boots and charge down the hill what uh, what track is going to accompany you on the way down then this one's a, a bit different. This is a, a more of a mellow one, especially after the beers we just had on the chairlift and the, the wine that we had in the, in the chalet. I always find that after a few beers, you want to ski a little bit faster than perhaps you should. You have to rein it in. Yeah, correct. So it's, it's, it's Three Little Birds by Bob Marley. Everything is going to be all right. <laughs> Absolutely love it. It's impossible not to have a smile while listening to this. <laughs> right then, we've skied now perfectly down to the bar. We're at the Apre bar, ready for a little bit of uh, extracurricular fun. So kick the skis off, put them in the rack over there. Um, what song do you want to be playing as you walk in uh, to that Apre lodge? Well, just to clarify for the two hats that I've worn in my previous life, extracurricular means something very different in DJ life. So I'm not going to take part in that. But the alcohol, I'm all in, okay? Okay. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Um, yeah, Beanie Man, uh, Zim Zimmer. Let's play it. It's just the best. Zim Zimmer, who got the keys to my bimmer? Who am I? The girls, them sugar. How can I make love to a fella in a rush? Pass me the keys to my truck. This is the first time I've heard that song, right? And I, I, when I first heard it, I was like, oh my God. The this first is time? That's not that's the a, first time you've heard that song. That is the first time I've heard that song. Wow. Where have you been? Where have you been for 25? <laughs> that's like the biggest tune of the last, well, not the last 10 years, but before then. It was massive. Yeah, yeah. Come on. It was, was huge. It? What, man, yeah, I feel you I'm, No, I'm, you're just joking. He's joking. I'm not joking. <laughs> Ollie, you've never sounded more like a 42-year-old man in your entire life than what you I'm are. I'm not right 42. Now. I'm 36. Why don't you shut up, Warwick? Um, because, you know, I... <laughs> shut up. You said that you grew up and you were DJing a lot in the garage scene and that kind of stuff. But uh, So what kind of garage music would, yep. did you have? Because there's none of that on the list there. Yeah, no, so garage music was heavily influenced by this scene, by the people like Elephant Man and Beanie Man and Capleton, who were the biggest stars of that moment in the mid-90s. And Beanie Man's still a big star. Um, and so my music had MCs over the top of it. A lot of the lyrics the MCs would love to talk about came and were influenced from Jamaican music. A big part of the influence started there. But Garage, you know, you remember Craig David and all those guys. 
Um, Garage became heavily influenced by drum and bass, people like DJ Zinc um, and some incredible artists like that. And so that's that's kind of when I started DJing in February of the year 2000. It's awesome, man. And I, I, it's been so great having you in our Log Cabin podcast studio. And I cannot wait to see how you develop the Jamaican ski team in the future. Because you've got, you have this, in the very short time that we've been speaking to you and getting to know you, you have this way about you. You seem very focused, very determined, and very sure of yourself, actually, in a way that isn't often, I don't often see. And so I'm excited to see where you kind of take that. Thank you. And I'm super excited to relive some of the cool runnings. You know, a part of figuring out if... uh if Jamaicans can be good athletes, is to do exactly as per the movie and sit inside of a fridge freezer for an hour and see who survives. And so I'm really excited to talk about that as well. <laughs> Absolute pleasure speaking with you and we'll be following your journey for however long and wherever it takes you. Looking forward to it. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for letting me in the cabin. <laughs> Thanks, man. Don't Absolutely forget your drink. Anytime. Finish your drink. And we, and we don't, we don't want to like... Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah, finish your drink. I was going to say, we don't want to ruin the pretense, but... Hey man, if I ever find myself in Jackson, or uh, I'll, I'll look you up, and we'll have to go totally. for a shred because that'd be—I'd really love that. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And also oh, worth saying, huge congratulations, dude! Once an Olympian, always an Olympian. You should Thanks. be very proud. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, man, that's so cool. All right, guys. Well, it's been oh, fun. That was a lovely chat. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Nice chat, money. Nice chat. What a legend. One absolute legend. It's funny to hear him talk about the way the 30-year plan. They're totally good. Jamaica are totally going to have a medalist in 30 years, aren't they? Well, you'd hope so. Right then, our day is done. Thank you so much for listening Correct. to the podcast. We very much appreciate it. And uh, if you're new to the podcast because you joined us for the Daily Olympic special, then welcome along. It's lovely to have you as part of the family. Well, Thank you to all of you that have supported the podcast as well. You can do that if you would like to. Uh, Kofi is what we use. ko-fi.com forward slash the app pod if you'd like to support the podcast. I think it's sp- supposed to be pronounced coffee. <laughs> no, it's not. I think that's just what I tried to like. My Birmingham twang trying to talk. It's basically you can donate the price of a cup of coffee. That's the way I thought about it. But don't feel obliged to um, support the podcast with your hard-earned monies. Uh, you can support the podcast by just simply sharing it across your socials, letting everybody know about it. Uh, you can also get us on Instagram. Make sure you do that at the Apray Pod on Instagram. We are and Twitter, and you can email us any questions that you've got, particularly for Tim, because I have you know Tim is a very experienced snow sports professional uh, you can get us uh, you can just use know it all theappraypod at gmail.com and until next week Tim take it easy and have fun enjoy your will do enjoy your life <laughs> <laughs>